This is Ask Eleanor Murphy, a WBGO News production in collaboration with WHYY and WNYC. I'm Doug Doyle filling in for Nancy Solomon tonight. It's not court. Let me make it clear. It's people. This is a budget that moves our state forward. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy signing the biggest spending plan in state history yesterday. And it's quick match. It drew protests, but the governor and other state leaders insist that the process is working for New Jerseyans. This is your chance to speak directly to Governor Murphy about it. We want to hear from you. Call us with your questions at 973-297-0941. That's 973-297-0941. WHYY South Jersey reporter Kenneth Burns is also joining us tonight, taking your phone calls and social media questions. So please tweet your questions with the hashtag AskGovernorMurphy. We have indeed Governor Murphy on the line with us. Thanks for joining us, Governor. Thanks for having me, Doug, and please give Nancy uh, my best next time you see her. She is on vacation, but it's been such a dull week for you. Nothing happened. <laughs> and, and and it was so cool outside, too, so you just sat back with an um, air conditioner, right? Yeah, Took it easy. I, I wish, Doug, but it is crazy hot out there today. I, uh, I, t- this morning, I uh, had the great honor of uh, joining other dignitaries to welcome the little sister of the Statue of Liberty uh, in Elizabeth, and we were outside under the sun, and boy, it was hot. Uh, but good to be on with you. A big week, obviously, the budget is the big news. We continue to make uh, progress on COVID, thank God. We had big offshore wind news today, so there's a lot lot going on for the, for the thick of the summer here. That's for sure, and we do want to Go right into the budget tonight. You know, there are always winners and losers with every budget. $46.4 billion spending plan for New Jersey. And I know that you're so proud of the historic $6.9 billion contribution to the public pension fund. Tell the listeners right now why this is so significant. Well, the, 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 on the pension in particular, Doug, it's the first full pension payment in 25 years. Uh, and in fact, it's even higher than full. So we added another $505 million to the proposal in our budget uh, that we proposed in February. Uh, so first full payment in 25 years. But here's the sad part. Uh, the last full payment was 200 and something million. And my, my memory serves me as like 223 million. Had the state continued to make the full payment each year, the payment of this year's budget would have been about $800 million. So if you if you accept that we put six point nine billion dollars into the pension payment, a full six point one billion of that is basically a delinquency fee for not making the full payments over the past twenty five years. That's part of the reason why the budget the budget is a as big as it is not just because we're investing in stuff that uh, that we have committed to like all time high investments in public education, health care, infrastructure. But it's also making up for delinquencies of the past. Uh, we've got $2.5 billion in there to, to defease, which is a fancy way of putting to pay down debt. Another billion, too, to avoid debt on capital projects. The big pension payment. A lot of property tax relief. So a lot of stuff that, you know, we're, we're done kicking a can down the road. And, and uh, that, that costs money. And uh, all in all, I'm very proud of what we, what we got. The governor, I don't think everybody understands uh when they hear an unexpected tax windfall, a $10 billion surplus. How does that happen? Well, listen, 
who who could have predicted at the at the nadir of this virus that we would have indeed had a significant um, year in terms of state revenues? Um, we were, you know, we were looking at a potential shortfall at one point of as much as twenty billion dollars over about an eighteen or twenty month period. Um, and so you make the best decision you possibly can with the information you have available at the time. Um, and thank God it came out in a better place. But that does not mean that we did not pay a huge uh, toll in this virus. You know, over over 26,000 losses of life, 2 million unemployment uh, insurance claims, 30% of our small businesses went went bust. So you'll see the, in this budget an enormous amount of investment, again, in public health infrastructure. Uh, we're going to move a lot of the American uh, Relief Plan money towards small businesses, uh, getting people back up on their feet. Uh, and, and, and we're going to spend the, the money wisely and responsibly. In the past, New Jersey's had a, had a bad, bad track record, both sides of the aisle, of getting windfalls uh, of some form or another, and spending them in a way that was not responsible. We're committed to not doing that this time around. We have people on the line who want to talk to you about the budget, and you mentioned both sides of the aisle. Before we get to those calls, Senate Minority Leader Tom Kane says this budget was decided in private by you and a handful of others. He says Republicans and even many Democrats didn't have a say, and he stressed the public didn't have a say either. What's your reaction to that? Well, I, I have a lot of time for, for Tom, and and, uh, and and so I want to say that up front. I have a lot of respect for him. Um, but I, with all due respect, we I presented this budget in February. We had dozens of hearings with members of our cabinet. As those revenue numbers you, you asked me about a minute ago, Doug, uh, came in and, and we needed to adjust them, we, we reported that back and kept the legislative leadership uh, updated at every step of the way. Now, is the final budget exactly the budget that we presented? No. Uh, but I think of several hundred pages, it's something like 14 pages. Um, and, and there are expenditures in there that... that um, that were added since uh, we presented the budget in February, but I'm going to say plus or minus 98 or 99 percent of what we presented uh, is what it turned out, and that was months and months ago. So, listen, I mean, if there's a way uh, in the final sort of wave of negotiations to have some some sort of a window uh, on bills uh, that would have them sit out there for a minimum amount of time. Uh, I'm as long as we don't trip the June 30th deadline, I would be very much open-minded to that. So I, I look forward to any any other suggestions or tweaks we can make to make the process even better. How about those who say that the bill was posted publicly 12 minutes before the committees gave approval? Yeah, I mean I, that's that's why I say again I'll go. I don't want to repeat myself, but 98, 99 percent of the budget was the one that we presented in February that was discussed, debated. Uh, months to read it, months to ask um, our, our cabinet members questions uh, and probe probe their programs. Uh, but again, if it, 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 at the end of the day, if there's a way to sort of ensure that there is in the final reading of these bills, uh, and certainly a budget, which is a big one, um, I would be open-minded to discussing ways to make the system even stronger. And we're going to go to the phone calls now. Uh, 973-297-0941 is the number to call. Before we do that, though, we're going to social media questions from Kenneth Burns, who is our WHYY and WBGO reporter. Kenneth, what do you have for us tonight for the governor? 
Good evening, Doug. Good evening, Governor. Hey, first Kevin. question. Thank you, Governor. Uh, first question comes from Chris in Cherry Hill. He wants to know how will the new budget help prepare our schools for the 2021-22 school year so that they can adapt to any lingering COVID-19-related challenges? Yeah, this is a big one. Uh, Chris, that's another big thing we did this week, uh, Doug. Uh, we put out guidance for what the school year is going to look like in the fall. Uh, so first of all, uh, a headline that's been the case since we got into office um, we inherited uh, a school funding formula that had been underfunded in the previous eight years by $9 billion. This is the fourth consecutive all-time record investment in public education. Uh, we have the number one public education system in America. Um, it's one of the core attributes, not just for our kids and our great educators, but it's a central element of our, of our future and our economic future. So all-time record investment, uh, number one. Number two, we've put guidance out for what the fall will look like. And number three, we've already put a significant amount of federal money towards schools, and we will um, do that as well with the American Rescue Plan money. So everything from, you know, especially investments that are that are that have you know are heavy metal HVAC systems uh, being the best example. Again, we put the guidance out. Um, I think it's going to look like, assuming the virus, Doug uh, and Kenneth. Uh, doesn't take a, a U-turn on us, and it's possible it could with this, with these variants, with this Delta variant. That that is still a possibility. But right now, we're about as well vaccinated a state as any state in America. The numbers continue to be really good, and assuming they they continue that way, I would expect a pretty darn normal school year, uh, including uh, no masks uh, when we get back to school in the fall. Uh, let's again, let's we, stay with the schools for a moment, Governor. We have Greg from Freehold on the line. Greg, you're on. Ask Governor Murphy. Hello, Governor Murphy. Hi, Greg. How are you? I'm very well, sir. Thank you. I want to talk to you today about property taxes and the high cost of living as it relates to school funding. Since you signed the last budget, my property tax has gone up 8%, and they've more than doubled since my wife and I bought our house. And school funding has a huge impact on property taxes, as you know. Since the Abbott ruling... In 1981, the 31 Abbott districts have received most of the state aid. And even today, they get more than almost every other town. Local to me, Asbury Park gets 85% more money than Freehold, something like $36,000 per student. And Freehold gets $19,000 per student. And I think that's just outrageous. And Asbury Park has nothing to show for it. Test scores, graduation rates, all the metrics by which you measure success have shown minimal improvements, if any, and certainly not worth the money we've been paying all these years. All right, let's have, have the governor address that. What's that, Doug? Well, I said let's have you address that. Yeah. Well, listen, Greg's, Greg has called in before. I, I haven't heard from him in a while, and I think he's had a similar complaint, and, and I respect the fact that that's the way he sees things. I just I don't see it that way. Uh, again, you got to remember what we inherited and what we've done in the three and a half years we've been here, and it's year after year after year after year of record investment in public education. And it's important to note, as, as Greg uh, rightfully points out, that on average in the state, 53% of your property tax bill uh, is public education. So in the eight years that preceded us, with a funding formula underfunded by $9 billion, that put an overwhelming amount of pressure on local property tax payers, local municipalities, uh, to, uh, to fund that shortfall. We have reversed that. Uh, rather dramatically. I will say this in fairness, um, the formula, it's not like the formula didn't work before. It was never allowed to work. So we, at the same time as we are 
putting in record amounts of funding. We're also in a in the middle of a seven-year transition so that we have a formula that matches the actual current reality of our uh, demographics, where people are living, where our kids are uh, up and down the state. And so there are some, some towns that uh, most towns win as a result of that, but there are some towns that don't win. And we, we have a, a, a bucket of transitional money, and we have other means that we try to work with those local uh, uh, school districts and try to get them in, a, in a, a responsible way to bridge them until that day, not too far off at this point, that we've got a formula that matches the, the actual reality of the demographics in our state. Governor, we're going to go and stick with the phone calls right now. We have James from Patterson. He has a question regarding infrastructure spending with the budget. Hey, James. Good evening, Governor. Anyhow, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you spoke of budget spending increases for infrastructure and other needs. My question is really approximate, just approximately or just roughly, how long do you think that these projects will be, to use a war-out phrase, shovel-ready? Are they kind of near-term or long-term projects until we see results? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a mix, James. Um, It's a mix. It's stuff that's happening as we speak, whether it's NJ Transit, where we've got record uh, financial support, uh, roads, road work that you're seeing up and down the state. Um, so there's some of that in the very much here and now. And then you've got also some some bigger ticket projects, uh, which uh, are going to have a longer runway. Uh, and by the way, you, you're, it, it depends on the, the entity that you're talking about. So the Port Authority uh, right now is, is building a, a brand-new terminal uh, at Newark Liberty Airport. Uh, that's going to be up uh, and open for business, I think, mid-next year. Uh, but the big ones, the big federal ones, are the, are the tunnels under the Hudson River. Um, I, I saw Pete Buttigieg over the weekend, the U.S. Secretary of Transportation. Uh, he had a good visit uh, with the congressional delegations on Monday, uh, building those two new tunnels and rehabbing the two that are there, which were built or finished, I should say, in 1910. That's a big one. That'll take many, many years. But we got to get that started as soon as possible. And there are other elements to that project as well. So the short answer, James, is a mix. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, and there's stuff that's uh, that's sort of coming through. I actually was within the past week at two groundbreakings, a cancer institute in New Brunswick and, a, and an expansion of a tech school in Newark. So there's a whole mix of things going on, and, and, uh, and I think largely overwhelmingly uh, uh, for the good of New Jersey. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy on WBGO, WNYC, and WHYY. Call us with your questions at 973-297-0941. That's 973-297-0941. We get hit with all these numbers, Governor, and not everybody can grasp it all at one time. Can you just give us um, a short answer, and that may be difficult, to what taxpayers are getting in this budget that they didn't expect? Well, they're getting checks mailed to, I think, 700-something thousand families tomorrow, up to $500. Those checks are going out tomorrow. Um, they, they may have expected it, but um, we had enough feedback that we're including a notice to why they're getting it. And this, this is basically the proceeds from the millionaire's tax uh, that we passed last year. Um, there is significant, I could, I could give you a lot of examples, and I'll, I will be short, a lot of higher ed uh, affordability elements here. College, either community or four-year, flat out, is going to be a lot more affordable and accessible for a lot more folks in New Jersey. 
um, a lot of good stuff in this budget for seniors, uh, including the ceiling uh, below which they don't have to pay income taxes being raised dramatically. Um, and again, that's a that's a big one. We're, we're going to cover every kid in the state with health insurance. Uh, that's a that's a big deal. There are very few places in America that can say that, and we're going to do that in New Jersey. Uh, those are a few examples, but those are ones that we're you know we're going to be not just first time in many cases, but leading the nation in many cases. When you get pushback, and when you get people who praise the budget. Do people in New Jersey understand the budget process, in your opinion? Do you think they understand that it takes, it's the give and take, and there are nonprofits who get money, there are who, who get slashed? Is there a program that didn't get the money this time that you said, I wish I could have? I mean, I'm sure there's several, but is there one yeah. in particular? So, so you really asked two questions. Do folks understand the process? Um, and I think they do. We've got the smartest uh, residents in the entire United States. Uh, and so I, I, my view is never underestimate how savvy and smart New Jerseyans are. And again, there's a lot of process focused on the, that you, you mentioned how long was the bill posted before it was voted on. But there's a lot less focus than I think there should be on the fact that it's a four-month-plus process. And I, and I know enough of uh, what other states, how they approach the budget. I think New Jersey um, has a really good process in the overall. Can we tweak it and make it better? Yes, absolutely. Now, it, it, it's almost an endless list of if we if we could find more money and do it responsibly, uh, are the, is, would we put more money to work than we have in you know program X or program Y? The answer is there's a lot of those. Yeah, I mentioned six. You you mentioned in fact, Doug, six point nine billion dollars in the pension payment. Not a program, but a huge structural deficit that we inherited among many that we're that we're in the process of solving. Every dollar you put in now in a in a pension plan, given how expensive the return is, that's got a payout over thirty years. That's multiples of the dollar that you put in. So if you could, you'd put in another several billion dollars because it's a smart long-term thing to do for New Jersey's future. Um, and certainly there are, there are a myriad of programs in the state that the state funds. Um, and, and, and if we could find more money to top up that funding, absolutely. Uh, but that's, again, that's a, that's a give and take. It's a balance you want to do. You want to fund the programs in your priorities, but at the same time be fiscally responsible. Uh, and that's the balance that you've got to strike. And I think we've done in this budget with the great leadership in the legislature, I think we've, we've struck that balance. We're coming up on our first break, Governor, and uh, so when we come back, I want to talk about you losing a well-respected part of your team, someone who has gained tremendous respect in New Jersey and across the country, and that's Attorney General Grabeer Graywall leaving your administration to lead the Enforcement Division of the Securities and Exchange Commission. We'll yep. talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy on WBGO. WHYY and WNYC. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy, a WBGO News production in collaboration with WNYC and WHYY. 
Got a question for the governor? Call us at 973-297-0941. That's 973-297-0941. Or pose your question on Twitter or Facebook with the hashtag AskGovMurphy. I'm Doug Doyle, filling in for Nancy Solomon tonight here on Ask Governor Murphy. We're joined by Governor Phil Murphy on the phone. Governor, yes, indeed, Attorney General Gabir Graywall leaving your administration to lead the Enforcement Division of the Securities and Exchange Commission. I mentioned before the break, such a well-respected part of your team. Did it surprise you that he made this choice? It's a big loss. There's no question about it, and, and he's done a terrific job. Uh, I'm not shocked. Uh, the particular position um, uh, I had no visibility into, I'm not shocked because of how good he is. Uh, I look at uh, what he's done on community policing, what he's done on gun safety, what he's done defending the state and the and the rights of our residents, particularly during the Trump administration on so many fronts. Um, he not only did a good job, uh, outstanding job in the four walls, uh, within the four walls of New Jersey, but also um, he, uh, you know, he d- developed a national reputation as a result of that. Uh, and it's it's a tough loss, but I have to say for the country. Uh, it's a big win. He's going to go work for a guy I've known for oh, probably close to four decades uh, who, who runs the SEC, the enforcement job these days. It's always critically important, but these days with these crazy GameStop and and uh, Robin Hood and uh, waves uh, with Bitcoin, with other crypto stuff, I mean, this is, you know, this is a really important and tough time to be in that position, and I think he's going to do a great job. Before we get to uh, the phone calls again, uh, it didn't take long for you to announce that First Assistant Attorney General Andrew Bruck would be leading the office at least until the end of your first term. What yeah. can you tell us about Andrew? Andrew's a star, um, and that's that's the most important thing I can tell you. Princeton undergrad, Stanford Law, clerked uh, for Chief Justice here in the state. He was Chief of Staff to Sally Yates, who folks may recall in the early days of the Trump administration before uh, President Trump had put his attorney general in place, Sally was acting. Um, uh, Andrew's been with us um, since the, the first days. He's done, a, he's done an enormous amount uh, on both the criminal and civil side. He's a star uh, and just uh, thrilled that he agreed uh, to step up and, and leave the department on, a, on an interim basis, uh, at least for, for the balance. It <laughs> depends a little bit on whether I get reelected, so I'll just say this for the balance of, of our current four-year term. Yeah, it must be nice to have somebody uh, in waiting like that who you can trust and has been a part uh, of several. Yeah, so, Doug, this is an, uh, an important point, and it's, it, it says something else about Gerbeer, and, by the way, about Catherine McCabe, who is at the Dev- Department of Environmental Protection. Uh, it says something about Carol Johnson, who was uh, running the uh, human human services. Um, we've got a cabinet, not only the most diverse in our state's history and in America, but really talented. And they're folks who have a common thread, among other things, that they build good teams. And so if you look at Sarah Edelman, who stepped in for Carol, now Sean LaTourette is the permanent head of the DEP. Andrew uh, Bruck now is acting in, in the uh, OAG. We're, we're, I'm incredibly sorry to see those three folks leave, but boy, do we have uh, the the the, um, the benefit, the riches of a deep bench, and we're able to immediately call on some stars to step in 
and run it uh, on an, at least on an interim basis. You mentioned the word call. We're going to our callers now. Pam from Newark is on the line. Pam, welcome to Ask Governor Murphy. Hey, Pam. Uh, thank you. Uh, good evening, uh, Governor Murphy. Good evening, Pam. I, I have, a, I think, a unique situation, but it's um, very important to me. Maybe other people will... Um, understand as well i am uh i have a home in newark um and i am not it is free of mortgage so the eviction moratoriums that are in place don't affect me um not a tenant landlord situation but there was a property tax lien on my property um during the pandemic two weeks before the pandemic i went to city hall to see how much it would cost to um reclaim uh my property, I was told it was $43,000. Okay, the pandemic hit. I'm a photographer. My, everything shut down. Uh, yeah. I spent the year just trying to scramble to keep my head above, above water. Pam, we need you um, to get to your question, please. Yes. Um, I got a notice. My, my brother died during Thanksgiving. Papers were uh, refiled. Uh, the foreclosure is back in effect. I was told it was going to take... $63,000 to redeem my property, um, and the clock has been ticking. Yep. I hired a lawyer, but the, the lawyer did not inform me when okay. a motion was put forth. He did not inform me when an order was put forth. Yep. And now I have July 13th before I will lose my, my childhood home. Oh, bless you. So, so Pam, what I think the best thing to do is, because it sounds like this is very specific to your situation, there's not a, really a blanket uh, policy answer I can give. I'm going to have somebody literally call you within the next 24 hours. My guess is it will be someone on the lieutenant governor's team at the, the, at the Department of Community Affairs or someone in my front office. Uh, Dan Bryan is listening, and Dan will help me figure out who to have to call you. I mean, this is a... God bless you, by the way. I'm saying a prayer for you. Um, whether it's a property tax lien, which is less often the case, but it is the case with many, or arrearages on rent, utilities, mortgages. People say to me all the time, well, gosh, the, 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 you got this federal money. It's a lot of money. Well, there are a lot of people in pain right now. A lot of people uh, are behind the eight ball, uh, and we want to do everything we can, whether it's state money or federal money, to help folks out. But, with, Pam, with your blessing, I'm going to ask somebody, again, probably in the Department of Community Affairs or our, our front office team to follow up with you within the next 24 hours. Thanks for your call, Pam. Uh, let's go to social media now, and Kenneth Burns has been – Taking a look at the situation, he's got a public school teacher, I believe, to talk about. Kenneth. Yeah, Doug. In fact, uh, we received a couple of versions of this question, so I'm going to use Trey and Ridgewood to kind of sum things up. I'm a New Jersey public school teacher who works with fifth graders and have a brother in the fifth grade as well. I'm worried about COVID spread among these students, particularly in regards to the Delta variant and your recently announced plan not to require masks in schools this coming year. What science went into that decision? Hey, Trey, um, good good question. And if we can track Trey down, I'll get somebody. Uh, uh, I'll ask Judy Persichelli, someone on her team, to follow up uh, and or someone in, in uh, Angelica Allen McMillan's team at the Department of Education. The science is, is straightforward right now. And remember, we're putting out guidance at the end of June. Back to school is plus or minus Labor Day. And we, we, we said last year when we put it out in June that we would we reserve the right to tweak the guidance because the virus dictates the terms, not us. Uh, and we did that. 
and we reserve that right again. The reason why we're saying it now is we are among the most vaccinated states in America, one of the most vaccinated places in the world, uh, and we have the virus on the run as we sit here. Our positivity rate is, is regularly plus or minus 1%. Rate of transmission is under 1%. We have fewer than 300 people in the hospital, uh, etc., uh, that's the basis upon which we have, there's a few other data points we look at, we, we, we make our decisions based on the data, and that data is really, really strong. Let me just say one other thing. This is right now, unequivocally, a pandemic of unvaccinated people. That's not to say if you're vaccinated that you can't get COVID, but it is to say I know of only one case uh, of the, the, where there was a fatality, and that was sadly due to a transplant uh, which was a which is a complicating factor, and that's something folks who are transplantees need to hear that they are at a higher level of risk and they need to take extra caution. But the vaccines work. You, there, there's I think literally no one in the hospital right now who has been vaccinated who's sick with COVID. Uh, we we do not know other than that one transplantee, and God rest her soul. We don't know of any fatality of anyone who has been vaccinated. This is this is overwhelmingly a pandemic of unvaccinated folks. And so, Trey, that's the thing I would say. Please, God, get folks vaccinated. Now, one last footnote, uh, Doug, real quick, and Kenneth. Kids under 12 don't have a vaccine yet uh, that is authorized. That, I'm based on all the uh, all the rumblings that we hear, that will happen. I just can't tell you when it's going to happen. And I But that that will happen, and the uh, that will be approved by the in the usual federal processes. Um, and, and that's that is a reality. But even with that fact in place, um, the Department of Health, the Department of Education feels confident we can go forward and make the recommendations we're making. One last thing for Trey. If in his district they determine that there is a reason to be more conservative, whether that's masking, social distancing, uh, uh, barriers, physical plexiglass, etc., they have every right to do that. So if they want to be more aggressive than the recommendations would put out, they're welcome to based on whatever local reality that they have. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy, and the governor is joining us on the phone tonight, 973-297-0941. If you have a call or if you want to give us a social media question, hashtag AskGovMurphy. Before we head back to the phones, Governor, what do you say to people who continue to say, I don't want this vaccine? I mean, we, we hear you we hear you during your you know your briefing saying that the pandemic is there for people who are unvaccinated. Is there anything that we can do to convince others to get vaccinated? Yeah, well, we are getting the answer is yes to that last question, Doug, and we are getting people. You know, I forget how many we had. We had a pretty significant day actually uh, yesterday on first uh, vaccine doses, um, which is a good sign. That's what we look we look toward because our take up rate on the second. If you get Moderna or Pfizer, our take-up rate is very high. It's about 91%. So we look at first uh, vaccine, how, how many people are doing this for the first time. Some of the reasons make sense and some do not. If you're an African-American and you look at the sordid history of vaccines and using African-Americans uh, as essentially, uh, I'm, using, I'm using a highly charged word here, but it's true, as guinea pigs, and you've got skepticism, in certain African-American households, who could blame you? So that takes, you know, that, you, you approach that, I think, through trying to find role models who can 
who can explain, whether it's a faith leader, a doctor, um, an elected official, a celebrity of some sort. Um, that's why we've got this um, uh, these programs uh, that go deep into communities. We do a ton of door knocking. Uh, I think we're in 22 different communities right now where that are large but also under what we deem to be an acceptable rate of vaccination. And you've got, in many cases, legitimate. I, I didn't understand. I didn't know it was free. I didn't know there, there would be no check on my immigration status. Or I've got two or three jobs, and I just, you know, not, none of your places have been open uh, when I'm free. Or I, I don't know where the closest location is. And, and, and so those are... That, that just requires us to grind it out. We've had a bunch of contests which have been really successful, um, but there's also a, a real grinding door-to-door element to this. And then there are folks who just have, have just don't believe the science, and I, I frankly don't have any time for them. Okay, um, all right, so that's, fair enough. Fair that's enough. the last group, and, I, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know what we could do with them, Doug. Okay, we're going to go to Tom from Seabright now. He's on the phone. You're on Ask Governor Murphy. Tom, your question for the governor. Thank you for taking my call. Thank Governor, you. I, I uh, tried to ask you this question last week when you were at the windmill in Long Branch, and you didn't take my question. <clears throat> Why is it fair that a mom-and-pop rental business, which my parents started about 60 years ago, has to support tenants that are not paying their rent? They're being slowly put out of business. They had to take a $50,000 EIDL loan to pay your property taxes. They have no control over their rental business. Like They have vacancies that they're afraid to put somebody in because if somebody comes in, they can say, use the security deposit for a month and a half rent. Thank you, Governor Murphy. And I'm not going to pay the rent going forward. So what are we going to do about that, Governor? Tom, let me just correct the record for folks who are listening with all due respect. You you did ask a question, and, and the fact is it was a press conference, and we do have a rule, so I would just say I, I, I do stick to it that the questions need to be asked by members of the press, so that's one thing. And secondly, you also know that you and I had a private conversation uh, at the end of the event. And thirdly, uh, I asked one of my colleagues to get either your card or give you their card. I can't remember which, and I hope that they followed up with you. Um, so I just want to make sure that everyone understands that's exactly what happened. Having said that, the topic that you raise, uh, I have nothing but sympathy on this. And small renters and small landlords have been crushed. The Department of Community Affairs has a program in place, uh, as, as I think I mentioned that day, uh, for both renters and small landlords. Uh, I will get someone either from the Department of Community Affairs or from our offices to follow up with you um, because the, the pain is real. Um, and I would also expect that you're going to see us deploy uh, more federal money through the American Rescue Plan toward this reality. I mean, it, I mentioned this a minute ago. Renters, mortgage payments, property tax liens, utility payments, credit card backup, uh, and small landlords have been the ones in this housing reality that have been crushed on all sides. So, so Tom's um, uh, uh, hurt is real. Uh, we do have programs in place. I don't know whether or not he's tried to take advantage of them or not, but I'll make sure somebody follows up uh, and, and make sure that uh, he knows at least what we've got on the boards as we speak and maybe give him a little bit of a sense of pr- a prediction of what might still come with the American Rescue Plan money. Tom, thanks for your call. Let's go to social media again. And Kenneth Burns has some more questions, this time about COVID. 
Yes, and Governor, I know you, uh, Commissioner Percy Kelly, and the state epidemiologist Christina Tan has been talking about the Delta variant a lot lately. Ben in Waldwick, he wanted to know, uh, well, I'll, I'll read it. Early evidence is showing the Delta variant to be exponentially more contagious than the original COVID-19 virus and could potentially cause a spike in cases if outbreaks occur in New Jersey. What benchmarks will have to be reached to reinstate a mask mandate or state of emergency? And what is being done to prepare for a possible resurgence? Yeah, all good questions from Ben. Um, the, the answer is, by the way, the, the variants are all in New Jersey. You know, we're the densest state in America and the densest region in America. It's why we got clobbered uh, last spring into the early summer, long-term care, just generally in New Jersey. And it's why the variants uh, contributed before the Delta variant uh, to the second wave that we had and the length of that second wave, which lingered uh, for, for a long time. Um, having said that, um, and, and by the way, Ben's right about uh, both of his premise points, which is number one, uh, it's more transmittable, uh, the Delta variant, and number two, the evidence is it makes you sicker, uh, both of which are are flashing uh, lights around it. Um, having said all that, um, here's what's also true. The science until now, the medical data until now, says, concludes rather definitively, if you're fully vaccinated, uh, you are protected against COVID generally and the Delta variant specifically. Again, that does not mean that you can't get it, but it does mean you're not going to the hospital or dying. Please, please God, it stays that way, by the way. Um, and so that's, that's really important. So in the U.K., where I said fully vaccinated, in the contrast to the U.K., which is why the Delta variant, I think, went wild, is that they had strung out the booster shot. We've not done that in New Jersey. So, folks, Johnson & Johnson's a one-shot, but if it's Moderna or Pfizer, make sure you get both of your shots. That's the best thing we can do to push back against the Delta variant. And when we come back, we'll be taking more of your questions and social media comments. The number 973-297-0941. Ask Governor Murphy. We will be talking about a number of topics when we come back, including some of the latest things that the governor had to deal with this week. It's all right here on Ask Governor Murphy on WBGO, WHYY, and WNYC. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy, a WBGO News production in collaboration with WHYY and WNYC. Got a question for the governor? Call us at 973-297-0941. That's 973-297-0941. Or pose your question on Twitter or Facebook with the hashtag AskGovMurphy. And we've been hearing from callers, and people have been quite busy on social media tonight here on Ask Governor Murphy. I'm Doug Doyle, filling in for Nancy Solomon tonight. Governor Murphy joining us. Governor, today the Board of Public Utilities approved two applications that combined could be the country's biggest offshore wind project off the coast of Atlantic City. Tell us why this is important. It's a big deal, big day, uh, Doug. As you mentioned, it's quite a week, and we're only at Wednesday. Uh, and we got Independence Day coming up this weekend, uh, which uh, is obviously a cause for great celebration. Um, we have pursued 
aggressively off an offshore wind strategy under the theory that it's clean, um, that it's a great job spinner uh, for uh, union jobs, uh, and that we thought from the get-go that if we if we could take advantage of our location sufficiently and put big uh, big solicitations out there, that we could get manufacturers in that industry to actually not just install the windmills but make uh, components in New Jersey. And so there were a big announcement today, two separate groups, total of over, I think, 2,500 megawatts, which is, trust me, to folks out there, that's a lot of power. It's a, a, the second big step toward our objective to have 7,500 megawatts installed offshore by the middle of next century. New Jersey has a really unique uh, underwater shelf reality. So, uh, and, and this is unlike California, which has a lot bigger coastline, but underwater, not terribly far out, California's shelf falls off dramatically. New Jersey sort of comes down and then flattens out under the ocean. That's a huge deal for offshore wind because otherwise you've got to come up with crazy new technology to allow you to actually float the windmills. In our case, because of the, because of the, the formations under the underwater, you can go out 15 miles uh, and still be able to bolt them uh, responsibly, obviously, to the ocean floor. So it's a big deal. I mean, this is a really, really big deal, uh, and ultimately it's great for the environment, obviously. It's great for our economy, uh, and, and the Board of Public Utilities is, is committed to making sure that it works for the ratepayer. And such a big deal that we have social media question coming in. Kenneth, yeah. what do you have? You have Jeffrey and Marlboro. Yes, Jeffrey and Marlboro Township uh, notes how big a deal the wind project is. Uh, says it's just one key type of a major zero carbon energy project. But he says, I don't believe we are seeing enough substantive zero carbon energy projects. What can the New Jersey state government do to launch more substantive climate change projects, particularly at the municipality level? That's a fair point at the municipality level, although Marlboro is run by a great mayor, John Hornick, who's one of the best in the state. So I, I don't know that I've got any insights as to what's going on in Marlboro. But um, as a state matter, I don't think there's any state that can come close right now to the clean energy agenda that we have in New Jersey. I, I literally don't think there's any other state that has programs uh, started, in process, completed, as we have. Um, offshore wind, huge. Environmental justice, particularly for our urban communities and particularly for communities of color that have suffered disproportionately from dirty plants and factories. We have the strongest environmental justice law in the country. Community solar, which allows a lot of different parts of a neighborhood uh, or an area to participate in solar where you otherwise wouldn't be able to do it on your own. You wouldn't you know, you're in an apartment building and you you don't have the the, the rooftop or whatever it might be. Uh, I just would say to Mark, I, I, I'd put New Jersey up against anybody. I, again, at the at the local level, perhaps there are more opportunities. Uh, I'd be open-minded to what those might be, and we've got a lot of great mayors up and down our state. As I mentioned, John Hornick is one of them in Marlboro. Um, but I think as a state, uh, we we got more going on in clean energy than any state in America. This is your last chance to get some calls in 973-297-0941. Norm in Bloomfield has a call for you, Governor. You're on Ask Governor Murphy, Norm. Hey, Norm. Good evening. 
Hey, good evening, Governor Murphy. Uh, good evening, Doug. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Um, Governor Murphy, uh, what is your public position on the Essex-Hudson Greenway and allocating iBank funds uh, to complete the purchase? I mean, I generally like the idea. Um, so it's something that I first spoke, I think, Mayor Steve Fulop, uh way back when, um, if, if we could figure out a way to get it done, I know there's some NJ Transit wrinkles to it. Um, I'm open-minded. Uh, I, I, I love it, particularly, I mentioned a few minutes ago in the context of a pandemic, uh, we're the densest state in America. So to be able to find cool ways for people to get outside in a, in a healthy way, uh, in, an, in this case, into your question, in a contiguous way, um, is something that I'm, I'm open-minded to. I know it's got a lot of different challenges associated with it but but color me open-minded and that's something i i will i will ask dan to follow up uh with, with uh probably less norm needing to follow up with you because it sounds like you like the idea but more to follow up with our policy folks to kick around what we think we have to do to get that over the goal line if we chose to governor i'm always uh, enlightened by the different topics that come up on ask governor murphy so yeah. this time we have hera from jersey city hera your question for the governor Hi, thank you so much for taking my question, Governor. Um, I'm calling in uh, regards to a bill that was sent to your desk last week, S3361, to ban new ICE contracts in New Jersey. I'm wondering when you plan to sign it, because the longer we wait, the longer ICE has to sign new contracts in New Jersey. Yep. So have you, have you um, given, have a chat, had a chance to review? So, Hera, thank you for that. Um, and, and by the way, d don't assume that if I don't give you the crisp answer you want, uh, it's it's necessarily particular to the bill. I think we've been sent 264 bills, so we have to. We have, we have a lot of people working morning, noon, and night to to process and vet and make sure uh, we get everything right. Uh, so I, I'm not going to comment on the specifics of the bill yet because that would violate. Um, where, where we normally are, which is if we've not made a decision on a bill, we, 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 don't, we don't go through it. Having said that, I think I've been pretty clear as a conceptual matter um, that, we, you know, that we need to turn the page, and I applaud the steps that have already been taken. This is a, these are county contracts, so this is, these are not contracts with the state. It's the federal government with counties, uh, and you're starting to see some really good movement in a positive direction. I'm encouraged by that, and as a conceptual matter, I like that movement, um, and, I, and I'll leave it at that. And God knows it's a different day with the Biden, the Biden administration as it relates to ICE than it was with the Trump administration. Thanks. You know, we're coming up on the 4th of July uh, holiday, as you mentioned, Governor, and still a lot of businesses there at the Jersey Shore. We talked about it last time, struggling to get seasonal workers. Has you Have you seen any progress for the, the tourism season? Well, the t tourism is booming. I mean, the shore, our lakes, uh, main streets, um, you know, people are coming out, which is awesome. And you see it. Uh, somebody was recounting the other day to me how hard it was to get a res restaurant reservation, which is, right. you know, that, that's, a, that's a happy reality compared to a year ago. There's also no doubt the economy is, has taken off at a, an incredible rate not just in Jersey, but in, in America, but certainly in Jersey, and it is well out ahead of the labor market. And I think, Doug, there are a number of reasons why the labor market uh, is lagging. Um, and I'll just briefly say a few on my list. 
people ask me all the time that $300 of extra unemployment insurance benefit, could it be partly uh, the, the responsible for it? Yeah, I think it might be partly, but I also know there are a lot of people who are hurting and who are desperately in need of that money. So that could be p- part of it. Lack of daycare that is you know accessible, affordable, and open. School, which is now out, but school was um, you know hybrid or not not full on in a lot of districts. Um, so you had you had folks who had childcare issues. Um, I think there are some amount of people who are afraid to go back in, in, in yet, and I think that'll change over time. I also think when you see a lot of people leaving the workforce when the economy is pointing up, the economists will tell you. Folks have a confidence when they do that, as opposed to when the economy is going down. There's a there's a there's a, a, a sad, almost resigning resignation to the fact that there that that folks are, are going to leave the workforce for the wrong reason. When the economy is going up, folks when they leave the workforce typically are leaving. Not always, but typically are looking for another job because they have confidence they can get a better job. And I think the other piece of this is folks have gotten used to a different way of working mm-hmm. at home, viral, remote, whatever it might be. And I think it's going to—it's just going to—I think it's temporary. Uh, it's real. There's no question about it. Every single restaurant I go to or speak to, every single one, and not just restaurants, are having trouble. You know, one reality is that they're starting to pay more. I think we're going to see more of that, and they'll probably, you know, pass on—you know—add another fifty cents on the cheeseburger. You know, that's probably going to be why you're going to see some inflation. Uh, but I think it's a number, it's a combination of reasons. I do think it's it's both temporary, but it's also real. And God willing, um, God willing, we it catches up sooner than later. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy, and it's not just at the Jersey Shore. Unemployment is always a subject that comes up here on this show. And Kenneth has more uh, on that from another social media question. In fact, Doug, I'm going to summarize them because... A lot of the questions are specific to individuals. So uh, some are saying they are still waiting as long as a year and a half to receive benefits. Uh, Some have complained about how, quote, bureaucratic the system has been. Governor, what is your message to those who are still waiting for benefits? And what do you say to those who are having a hard time navigating the system? Yeah, I I would say this, Kenneth. Uh, I have nothing but sympathy, empathy. They're in my prayers please, God, we want them to get back on their feet. Let there be no doubt about that. And if they're frustrated, um, I can't blame them. Um, That's the the perspective that they have, and they probably have good reason for that. Having said that, overwhelmingly, not at every step of the way, but at most steps of the way during the past 16 months, persons with trouble getting either navigating the system or uh, getting uh, a claim certified and received uh, have been unique to their particular circumstance. Um, the last time I asked Rob Angelo, our, our terrific commissioner, uh, we, we had we had uh, met over 96% uh, of folks who had filed a claim and had received at least their first payment. And that's that, that nationwide. This this should not make anyone feel better. By the way, I'm not and I'm not suggesting that if someone's frustrated, that I get it, I, sure. I accept it. Um, but our batting average nationally is as good as any state. What I would say, Kenneth, is I'd love to get the, the particulars through Dan or directly to Rob, and, and Rob will get his folks to follow up uh, with some of the specific cases that you've got. And we will do that. Bob from Morris County is on the phone. Bob, your question for Governor Murphy. 
Hello, Governor. Thank hey, you Bob. very much for taking my call. It's uh, it real truly is an honor to uh, be able to speak to you. Okay. I want to thank you for all of, as a uh, I'm a retiree, a public employee uh, retiree, and uh, I want to thank you for all of the support uh, on our pension system and what have you. You've gone a long way. But my question is, Governor. Has any consideration been given to some adjustment um, on the COLA for uh, retired employees? I'm sure you know uh, the details because I know yep. you got a letter from our group, and I'm, yep. I know you've been active with this, but we are really the forgotten crew out there. It's been 10 years, yep. and uh, inflation is what it is, and I was just wondering uh, where you stand on that. Yep. Is there any hope uh, for us going yep. forward? Bob, good question, and it's one that I've gotten a lot as a candidate and as governor. Um, and it's not it's not pretty. I mean, this was part of the whole Chapter 78 reality a decade ago, and people spoke about COLA in aggregate terms, like this will save the state $3 billion. And my, my answer to that has always been uh, anyone who talks in those terms has never met somebody like Bob or other retirees, many of whom I've met, where the COLA was the difference between literally – staying above or below the poverty line or being able to hold on to their house or stay in New Jersey. So um, uh, the answer is it's, it's hardly the first time I've heard it. it it's, it, it is real. We have chosen at least, and it's a lot of money at this point, I have to say to, to make up for the past decade and to get that back to where it needs to be is a big amount of money. Um, and so what we have chosen to do is uh, and, and I hope it's, you know, listen, I'm going to die trying. I hope we get there eventually. I hope we find that money and we can do something. But in the meantime, all, you know, the, the pension payment, which is, uh, you know, $6.9 billion into the system this year, I want to keep that consistently high. Uh, we put a lot of relief for seniors into this year's budget. I mentioned, um, you know, senior freeze, property, uh, homestead rebate. I mentioned the fact that we raised the ceiling. Um, at which uh, under which senior retirees don't have to pay income tax. There's a lot of other ways where, while we may not be able to crack the back of the cola challenge, we are tr trying to get at this from different angles, and I promise you we'll continue to stay at it. Governor, we just have a, a couple of minutes left, so I just want to end on uh, see what your thoughts were. Saturday night you were at Springsteen on Broadway, correct? Oh, oh man. That was magical. So, so what was it like to be, you know, back in that setting? Were people wearing masks, not wearing masks? How comfortable were you? And obviously, the show. Yep. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about it. That. Was it, Doug? I'm glad you asked because it was not just opening night for Bruce uh, on Broadway in the sort of second iteration of his show, but it was opening night for Broadway, uh, and it, it had a, a magical atmosphere. First of all, the show is extraordinary. We had not Tammy and I had not seen it before. Um, and it was really impressive, and apparently he had tweaked it from its original iteration. And by the way, during this pandemic, as usual, the Jersey character, including of our brightest lights, stood up and helped out in a big way, uh, and I won't even mention all the ways they did it, but Bruce, John Bon Jovi, John Stewart, there's just a, a, a lineup of stars in New Jersey. Every time we asked them for help, they, they answered the bell. Um, and it was a great atmosphere. Uh, and no, I didn't see a whole lot of masks because you had to prove that you were vaccinated to go into the theater. Uh, it was packed. 
uh, it was, you know, you had Steve Van Zandt there, Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> Transportation uh, Secretary Brian Williams of NBC was sitting beside us. It was just a, it, it was an incredible night. And it was one of those landmark moments where you felt like, hey, wait, wait a minute, we're going to get back to normal. It, it, uh, not, we paid a huge price, but uh, this thing feels a lot more normal than it's felt in a long time. Just real quickly, Stephen Van Zandt got a standing ovation when he sat down. Did you? Yeah, I don't think I did. <laughs> but I know I know uh, uh, little Stevie did, and he's a good man, by the way, so uh, he deserved it. Governor, thanks so much for joining us tonight. It's been a very hectic week for you, and we really appreciate your time. Uh, honored to be on with you, and please give Nancy a high five for me. I will indeed. You've been listening to Ask Governor Murphy, a WBGO News production in collaboration with WHYY and WNYC. show's been produced by Katie Culinary with help from David Antoine, Alexandra Hill, Kenneth Burns, our engineer, the incredible Corey Goldberg. Nancy Solomon will be back next month. I'm Doug Doyle. Thanks for listening. This is Ask Governor Murphy.